voice. He heard my cry for mercy. Because he turned his ear to me, I will call on him as long as I live. The cords of death entangled me. The anguish of the grave came over me. I was overcome by distress and sorrow. Then I called on the name of the Lord. Lord, save me. The Lord is gracious and righteous. Our God is full of compassion. The Lord protects the unwary. When he was brought low, he saved me. Return to your rest, my soul, for the Lord has been good to you. For you, Lord, have delivered me from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling, that I may walk before the Lord in the land of the living. What shall I return to the Lord for all his goodness to me? I will lift up the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. I will fulfill my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. I will offer you the sacrifice of thanksgiving and call upon the name of the Lord. Lord, that is what we want to do today. We want to call on your name. We long for the day when we can do that together. But today, once again, spread out all over this city. Lord, hear us call out to you. You're not confined to a space. We look to you, God. We know that you are our only protection, our only defense. And God, you've given us worship. So give us eyes to see that you surround us and that our victory is only in you. We remember you and all your blessings. 
We love you, Lord. Amen.
Jesus, that's an amazing statement that we get to make this morning. God, that you raised the broken to life. And God, in a time of so much brokenness, in time of so much uncertainty over our future, God, we just proclaim that promise. And we say that we are going to rest in your power and in your love for us. And it's in your holy and precious name we pray. Amen. Hey there, Austin Ridge. My name is Glenn Gordon. I'm the associate pastor at our Dripping Springs campus. Uh, so excited to be worshiping at home with you today. Uh, a few things we want you to know about. The first is this. Many of you guys have wanted to know how you can get involved with the pandemic that's happening all around us. Uh, we've created a webpage uh, where you can go to find out different opportunities that we have to contribute uh, both locally and globally to help our partners and friends here uh, in Austin and around the world. Uh, the way that you can do that uh, is by checking out our website, which is austinridge.org COVID-19. There you'll also find a fund uh, that we've established to help those people and those friends and organizations uh, to, to work their way through this process. Hope you'll find a way to get involved there. Secondly, uh, we are regrettably not meeting this morning in person, uh, but we'd still love to connect with you. Uh, if you have an opportunity to do so, you can find uh, the connect button below the video today uh, on the Worship at Home page for all three uh, of our campuses, Bee Cave, Southwest, and our Dripping Springs campus. Uh, likewise, if you'd like to connect with a pastor uh, on a Sunday morning, uh, a number of our pastors are on call and would love to have a videos talk with you uh, on those mornings. Uh, feel free to click that uh, connect button below the video as well on the Worship at Home page uh, to find out how you can get connected. So excited that we get to gather together around God's Word this morning. So let's jump into it. Officer Ridge, so excited to be with you again for another Sunday. If you have your Bibles, turn to 1 Kings. I got a special character for you today. We're going to do a character today, 1 Kings chapter 10, that I've never heard a sermon on. I've never heard anyone preach on this character. I'm going to talk about the Queen of Sheba. Um, 1 Kings chapter 10, Chronicles also talks about her, but it's basically the same text. So we're going to go to 1 Kings 10. Uh, hey, if you need to look in your table of contents, that's okay. Just look up. It's right, bef it's right before 2 Kings. It's before you get to Psalms. Open your Bible in the middle, go to Psalms, go left. You'll run into 1 Kings chapter 10, the Queen of Sheba. I want you to understand kind of contextually what you're about to experience. So this queen, we're about 3,000 years ago. So the reign of David was 1011 to 971 B.C., the reign of Solomon was 971 to 931 B.C. This is before Christ. And so the reign of Solomon was the highlight of Israel as far as uh, prosperity, as far as wealth, as far as the heyday was King Solomon's reign, David as well. So Solomon's the third king, if you count Saul as the first king. 
the third king of the nation of Israel, the second that God had chosen, David's son. And you kind of get an understanding of, of what we're talking about. This queen is going to come visit King Solomon. And I'll tell you in a minute where she's coming from. Look with me at chapter 10, verse 1. Now when the queen of Sheba heard of the fame of Solomon concerning the name of the Lord, she came to test him with hard questions. Um, that phrase, hard questions, in the Hebrew can also mean riddles. Not trying to trick him up, trying to learn from him. So here's a queen. We know that she's the queen of Sheba. We know that this would have been somewhere south of Jerusalem, probably modern-day Yemen. So if you look at a, um, at a map, it's about 1,500 miles southeast of Jerusalem. She makes this trek. She's heard reports of this king who has this tremendous wisdom and this tremendous kingdom. And she herself, she's not sending an ambassador, she herself is going to go to find out if what she's heard is true. And this woman is going to go see this king about 1,500 miles. Now, during this time, you'd have traveled on camels. You, she would have had a, a large uh, group of people going with her, probably about 20 miles a day max. So this trek would have taken about 75 days minimum to go. So we're talking about 150 days of travel, 75 on each side to go to Solomon and to come home. The reason I'm telling you that is because this was going to cost her a lot of time, a lot of energy, a lot of effort, and she wants to see if Solomon is what she's heard that he is. I'm not saying ambassador, I'm going myself. Verse 2, so she came to Jerusalem with a very great retinue, with camels bearing spices and very much gold and precious stones. And when she came to Solomon, she told him all that was on her mind. You can go on, on the internet and you can find out myths about this woman. One of the stories about this woman you can find pretty easily is she actually had a child from Solomon and uh, Ethiopia was, was from these people, this people group. I don't know if any of that's true. Here's what I do know. I know what the Bible says about her. So I'm going to stick today to what the Bible says about her. I'm not going on the myths that I found about her. But there are some things that we know about her based on what the Bible says. She goes and she sees Solomon. She comes to Jerusalem. She brings a lot of gold. She brings spices. And she is coming to see if what she's heard is, is true. She considered Solomon worth it. So before we get to any more of what this woman's done to get to this point, what kind of effort and sacrifices are you and I willing to make to spend time with the Lord? Like she had to go 1,500 miles a lot of times we won't walk across the street to hear truth. It's, it's interesting what this woman was willing to do. She had a value system that if there is wisdom for me to gain, I'll do whatever it takes to get that wisdom. And I, I'm wondering for you and I if we would do the same thing. We have time to do whatever we want. Do we take the time to dive in the Bible every day? If this is the wisdom of God, if the Word of God is the wisdom of God, then do we take energy and time to find out what that wisdom is? Proverbs tells us if we want wisdom, insight, and understanding, that it doesn't come to the lazy. This woman is going to get after wisdom in this text. She has a continuous, proactive effort to find out more 
about wisdom. She's going to get after it. Look again with me back at verse 2. She came to Jerusalem with a very great retinue, a group of people with camels bearing spices, very much gold and precious stones. And when she came to Solomon, she told him all that was on her mind. And Solomon answered all her questions. There was nothing hidden from the king that he could not explain to her. She comes and she's got questions. And maybe the only time it's ever been recorded that a man answered every question that a woman had is in this text. And she has question after question. I imagine they talked about politics. I imagine they talked about kingdom structure. I imagine they talked about uh, aqueduct systems. I imagine they talked about food. Everything she wanted to talk about, she brought up to him. And she told him everything that was on her heart. You know, that's a great definition of prayer, by the way. When we pray, we tell everything to the Lord that's what's on our heart. And it's not just us talking, but it's really more of us listening. A lot of times we'll talk and talk and talk, but do we listen to the Lord? I think this woman asked some questions and she sat back and just soaked it in. And she listened to the wisdom. It's telling God everything. And she comes and she tells Solomon everything. She didn't just tell her what's on her mind. She wanted to hear what's on his mind, on his heart, his desires, his plans. It's interesting because I wonder if you and I do that as much in prayer as we should. Do we go to prayer with answers or do we go to prayer with questions? Do we go to prayer humble or do we go to prayer not being teachable? Do we go to say, God, teach me what it means to be a good wife? Teach me what it means to be a good husband. Teach me what it means to be a good employee, a good boss. Or do we go informing God what we think he should do for us? Let me give you a couple of verses here. We'll have them on the screen. Psalm 119. Here's what the psalmist says. With my whole heart, I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I've stored up your words in my heart that I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. Go into prayer saying, God, Teach me how to obey you. Teach me when, when I'm going this direction and it's wrong. Convict me. Help me to understand when I'm being convicted. Help me understand how your spirit moves in my life. Let me understand how you empower me. Let me be sensitive to your presence. We can't grow with the Lord if we're not listening to the Lord. We listen to the Lord in the word. We listen to the Lord in prayer. And by the way, I want to give you food to digest every week spiritually, but what I give you should just be an appetizer. It should fuel, it should ignite your desire to feed on the Word of God the rest of the week. So where do you go for your answers? TV shows, Hollywood, social media, or do we go to the source of all wisdom? This woman was willing at great cost to gain more wisdom. He answered, the Bible says, all her questions. You know, we had the same wisdom at our disposal that the Queen of Sheba had. James chapter 1, verse 5, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who will give freely without, without reproach, who will give generously, James says. It will be given to you. Just ask. Jesus says, Ask, you receive. Seek, and you'll find. Knock, and the door will be open to you. Are you seeking the Lord? Are you pursuing the Lord? Or do we just attend church? This woman was willing to do whatever it takes to learn. So the first three verses, what we've seen is she came, 
to watch, to see, and to hear. And, and so far, she's been listening to these answers. Now we're going to see her comment on the things she's seen. She's going to have the power of observation. Look with me at verse 4. When the queen of Sheba had seen all the wisdom of Solomon, the house that he had built, the food of his table, the seating of his officials, the attendance of his servants, their clothing, his cupbearers, his burnt offerings that he offered at the house of the Lord. There was no more breath in her. There's not another phrase like that in the Bible. She saw how he ran the kingdom. She watched how her, his servants served. She watched their facial expressions, we're going to find out. She watched how they ate. She, she watched him give sacrifice to the Lord. She watched him worship. And the Bible says it left her breathless. The breath was left from her body. She was blown away. Now this is a, a queen of a kingdom in her own right. And for her to look at Solomon and to watch how he did these things and to be blown away, it literally says there was no more breath in her. Does, does God blow you away when you spend time with him? That may not happen every day. But there's times where you're just kind of, we would say we get the chills or, or we, just, we just felt emotional spending time with the Lord. What this woman saw, she saw his kingdom. You can go back in 1 Kings chapter 4 and read chapter 4 and you can see some of the things that she saw in this kingdom. She also saw Solomon worshiping. What she saw was, I would call it visual systematic theology. She had never seen someone worship Yahweh, the one true God. Matter of fact, she was no stranger to wealth, no stranger to power, no stranger to authority, probably no stranger to religion. She was probably a religious, spiritual person. But she was polytheistic. She worshipped many gods. And now she's in the presence of a monotheistic person, someone who worships the one true God, which is what the nation of Israel was. They're surrounded by polytheism, but they worship the one true God. And, and she is blown away. You know, I think sometimes we miss a glorious sunset because of Netflix. We miss miracles because of Instagram. We, we're not watching. We have this, this spiritual uh, ADD. We just have this attention deficit disorder, and, and we get hardened. We can watch a movie for three hours, but to pray for ten minutes feels laborious to us. We've, we've missed what this woman gets by being in the presence of Solomon. She's watching him. Look at verse 6. She said to the king, The report was true that I heard in my own land of your words and of your wisdom, but I did not believe the reports until I came and my own eyes had seen it. And behold, the half was not told me. Your wisdom and prosperity surpassed the reports that I had heard. I'm a firm believer that everything this world tries to sell us is oversold and overvalued. I believe there's nothing on this planet that actually, once you understand it, it's more than what you thought. You can have a new car, it devalues. You can have a new house, it devalues. I've used the illustration, you go to Disney World as a child, you see these, these characters fly across the air. As an adult, you see the wires. You, you see behind the scenes, oh, that's just a college kid trying to make some money this summer. 
The magic's taken out of the world. The magic's taken out of the culture. And no matter what the culture promises, it's, it's, it's overvalued. It's oversold. And this is the first thing that I've seen that, that this woman's going, what I heard was not even close to what reality is. It was, it was undersold, and, and I'm seeing more than I thought I would have seen. I, I think you and I one day will sit before the Lord and we'll go, what I thought I knew was not the half of what reality was. That you're more amazing, more honorable than anyone, anything I could ever imagine. I could not contain what I actually saw is what she's saying. And, and I think this is why it's, it's, it's good for us to pray for our children and our grandchildren. If you have grandchildren, they're going to go and they're going to be lured by the world thinking that is going to make me happy. That is going to bring me joy. And they get in it and they realize I'm still miserable. I'm still sad. There's, there's still a gap in my heart. There's still a hole because that's the way God's rigged this world. There's nothing that ultimately satisfies except being in the presence of the Lord, except being obedient to the Lord and following the Lord. And, and Solomon was undersold and over-delivered. She was blown away. Look at verse 8. Happy are your men. That word happy in the Hebrew can also be translated blessed. Blessed or happy are your men. Happy are your servants who continually stand before you and hear your wisdom. Think about that phrase. Happy are your servants. In our world, we think if you're serving, you're not happy. Happy are your servants. Blessed are your servants. It's interesting because I think when I get to heaven, I'm not going to see a bummed out saint. I'm not going to see a, a depressed person in heaven. I'm not going to see a, a disgruntled angel. Because when you're in the presence of God, you can be nothing but blessed, nothing but happy. And that's what this woman was saying about her, his servants. You know, I see this when I, when I go overseas and I teach the Bible. When people are hungry for the word, you know, sometimes here in the States, I'll, I'll be teaching. I can kind of feel when I get to about minute 38, start seeing someone do this, start seeing one look back at the clock in our buildings, do that again. When I go overseas and I'm teaching, I will teach for hours. And literally, I think, well, it's dark now. It, it's, it's dark in here. I can't see anymore. We're not going to do anymore. No, they just crank the generator up. You know what I've been told overseas? I've been told, you preach until you don't have a voice to preach. And you just keep on preaching. This woman, I feel like, was, was that. I think she's sitting there watching and talking and listening, and she just can't get enough of the wisdom, the power, the authority she's seeing in Solomon. And, and the Lord, Jesus, is all that right now. At, at your disposal every day. Look at verse 8. Happy are your men. Happy are your servants. Happy. To belong to Jesus should produce happy people. Now, i got to be a little careful with this because life's not always happy, but there should be a deep-seated joy in Jesus following people. Here's what my goal is, is that when people encounter an Austin Ridge person, they go, that's a joyful person. That is a, that is a joy-filled woman. That is a, a passionate, excited man. That, that's a person of purpose. That, that they see that in us. I think a lot of times when people bump into Christians, they're like, wow, that wasn't fun. That was boring. That was non-passionate. Uh, 
this, she says, I think it's the greatest compliment a leader can get. The people that are around you all the time, they are so happy. They're so joyful. They love being near you. Look at verse 9. Blessed be the Lord your God, who has delighted in you and set you on the throne of Israel, because the Lord loved Israel forever. He's made you king, that you may execute justice and righteousness. I want you to see that this woman who has just encountered for the first time Solomon and just encountered for the first time the worship of the one true God, the theology she has in verse 9. Look at the theology. The Lord is the one true God. He delights in you. He delights in those who delight in Him. He loves us based on who He is, not what we've done. You can see the theology in this. His rule is a holy rule. He gives you holiness and righteousness. And people that follow this one true God will live holy lives. They'll be blessed. This woman, um, her testimony of Solomon, it came at a great cost. She looked, she listened, she got it. The queen of Sheba came to encounter the glory of Solomon, but instead she actually encountered the glory of Solomon's God. So here's a question for you. People encounter you. Do they encounter you or do they encounter the glory of your God? Because you make God look good by the way you represent him. So when people see your skills, they see your family, they see your home, they see your work, they see your, your, your children, they see your job, your life, they are drawn to the glory of God. That your life would put them in front of the Lord. They would be blessed. They would be breathless because they're blessed. Now, when I use the word bless, there is something I talk about a lot called the prosperity gospel. The only people I could find sermons on that had preached on this were prosperity gospel preachers. And they love this text. Because if you follow God, you'll be like Solomon. You'll be blessed. You'll be rich. The opposite is true what the New Testament says. Unless you deny yourself, take up your cross daily, you can't be my disciple. What Jesus says is, you're going to be blessed and you're going to be breathless and you're going to be used and you're going to be seen. You're going to see my glory. But you got to take a cross up. It's going to be hard. Some people aren't going to like you. Look at verse 10. Then she gave the king 120 talents of gold and a very great quantity of spices and precious stones. Never again came such an abundance of spices as these that the queen of Sheba gave to King Solomon. It's interesting. I think I thought about this before, especially like in Hollywood when you see the red carpet shows and they get gifts. It seems like the more wealthy you are, the more free stuff you get. That this world wants to bless those that are already blessed. And yet the gospel tends to bless people that are, are, are poverty stricken, poor in spirit. And it's interesting here in verse 10, I know historically that when diplomats come to see other diplomats, they bring gifts. I was reading about some of the gifts that presidents had received. And John Quincy Adams, he received from a French general an alligator as a gift. Literally, they put the alligator in the East Wing bathroom at the White House, and President Adams would show people this alligator. I mean, these gifts would come, and she brings this gift, says, 120 talents ago, what a talent, we don't use that measurement anymore. A talent's about 75 pounds. So that's nine and a half thousand pounds of gold. 
that he, that he received, nine, or I should say 9,000 pounds of gold. That's two and a half tons of gold. I read about how a camel can carry for a long distance trip like this up to 200 pounds. She would have had 45 camels alone just to carry the gold that she was bringing to Solomon as a gift. Now, if you could picture over the desert, this trail of 45 camels, that's not to mention all the spices on the other camels, and the gold that would glisten in the sun, two and a half tons of gold. And it says when she saw Solomon and she saw the kingdom, she was breathless. I can't imagine what we're going to see when we get to our king. You see, Solomon was king for a time period. Our king is king of all time. Solomon was kingdom of this part of the world. Our king is king of the universe. Solomon reigns forever. Our king, uh, Solomon reigned for 40 years. Our king will reign forever. Solomon died and was buried. Our king died and was buried and rose again because death was defeated. How much more should you and I pursue Jesus, King Jesus, to gain his wisdom instead of us thinking we know more realizing we don't know anything, and he knows everything. By the way, this, this procession of this dignitary coming to see this king and gain his wisdom and bringing gifts, says spices. Some believe that they brought, she brought frankincense, gold, and myrrh. Does that ring a bell for you? In the New Testament, there's another set of three dignitaries, three kings that come a long distance to see the wisdom of another king. This king was a baby in a manger. And we understand uh, theologically and biblically, the wise men show up probably when Jesus was about two years old after the journey and brought these spices. This woman comes. It's a picture of that again. Look at verse 13. We're going to jump down. King Solomon gave to the queen of Sheba all that she desired, whatever she asked besides what was given her by the bounty of King Solomon. So she turned and went back to her own land with her servants. Again, like I said, there's myths that I've read about this queen. We're going to stick with what the Bible says about her. But she goes back, says all that she desired he gave to her. Uh, the Chronicles uh, chronology of this story, which is also similar to this passage, has one other detail. It says that he gave much more to her than she gave to him. It's interesting because we talked about this with Hannah. You can't outgive God. And yet you and I, I don't think, believe that sometimes. I believe sometimes we see God as this, um, maybe this overlord that may not take care of us at all times. So what we do is we don't tithe because we have to hoard because we're really not sure God's going to take care of us. And then we have an abundance. Maybe we'll tithe some and maybe we don't. We give. Because we know that we can't outgive God. If we can't outgive God, we give Him everything. Because He's going to give back more. I don't think most people believe that, but I believe it's biblically true. And I've seen it true in my life. If you're a child of God, you are rich. Every desire you have, everything you need, everything your soul longs for is found in Christ. And it's given in eternal abundance. It says she turns, she went back to her own land with their servants. Can you imagine our conversations? 75 day trek at least. Did you see? Could you believe? Oh, did you also taste? Hey, did you see when they 
and this conversation, and I think it's going on for 75 days, how silly would it be for her to be breathless, to be blown away, and for 75 days she goes back with everything she just saw and heard and experienced and believed, and she never tells anybody about it, never speaks about it again. And then she comes out later and says, that experience changed my life, but I've never told anyone else about it. Can you imagine that? And that's what we do with the gospel, folks. Jesus Christ has changed my life. I place my faith and trust in him. He's my Lord and Savior, but I'm not going to tell anybody about it, even though he is the greatest treasure that anyone can have. This woman talked, I believe, and talked and talked about this. And she went back. Goes back to your home, back to your gym, back to your office. Are you going to go and tell the story, the report of King Jesus? Now, what I want you to do is I want you to turn your Bibles, because you may not realize this, but this woman is actually in our New Testament as well. I want you to turn over to Matthew, Matthew chapter 12. We're not going to put it on the screen. I want you to turn to it, Matthew 12. By the way, let's get to know our Bibles, that you know where to turn. You know how to find chapters and verses. And it takes time. Just take time with it. Memorize the books of the Bible. Matthew, Matthew chapter 12. Let me give you the context of what I'm about to read to you. Jesus is doing miracles. He's saying truth. The things you've heard from me come from the Father. And the religious leaders, those that were there to wait for the Messiah to come, argue with him. They don't believe him. They challenge him. And they're challenging him right here in Matthew 12. Matthew 12, verse 38. Look at it. Then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered him, saying, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. Now, he had given them many signs. You've heard me say before, the reason people don't come to Christ is not because of lack of evidence, it's hardness of heart. That's what we're seeing with these men. It was, they don't need another sign or miracle. It's they aren't going to believe any sign or any miracle. Look what it says. But he answered them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. Now, what do you know about Jonah? People have said, do you really believe that Jonah was real and he was in the belly of a fish for three days and he was really spit out on the beach? I really do because Jesus believed it and Jesus used it as the sign in the New Testament of the resurrection. And the resurrection of the New Testament is the sign that Jesus is who he said he was and did what he says he did. So he uses Jonah. This is Jesus using Jonah. Jonah was a, a Jewish prophet the purpose of Jewish people was to show the beauty and the honor and the majesty and the riches of King Jesus, the Messiah who was to come, and the, the God who would send him in the future. And so the purpose of the nation of Israel was to what Solomon did with Queen Sheba, to have her breathless after encountering him. And so Jonah was sent to Nineveh. It's, it's, you may have heard the group of people in your Bible called the Assyrians. Nineveh was the capital city of Assyria. Assyria took out the northern kingdom in the 700s B.C. But before that, Jonah was sent before God was going to bring judgment on the northern kingdom and ultimately judgment on the Assyrians. How many Assyrians have you ever met today? None, because they don't exist anymore. But before God did that, he was going to give them mercy because that's what God does. So he sends Jonah and says, I want you to go to Nineveh. I want you to preach. He goes to Nineveh. And he's a horrible preacher. 
Here's what he says. Judgment's coming in 40 days. You probably ought to repent. There's no passion. There's no introduction and conclusion. There's no jokes. There's no transitions. Probably want to repent. He's making me do this. He runs the other way. God puts him in the fish, brings him back the opposite way, spits him out, says, go do what I'm telling you to do. Jonah does it, and then Jonah goes up on top of a hillside after he preaches. And what's amazing is, the worst preacher ever, there's revival happening in Assyria. He should have been down there having a follow-up discipleship program. He should have been doing marriage counseling. He should have been doing uh, divorce recovery. He should have been doing how to help your aging parents. He should have been starting Sunday school. He's sitting up on a hillside pouting because he's mad at God. Because Jonah was a racist. Jonah didn't like the Assyrians. Jonah says, I knew you would do what, what's happening. What I'm seeing, that's what you do. You're going to show mercy, and I didn't want to show mercy to these people. Jesus says, Jonah is the sign you're going to get. He didn't see it. The Assyrians got it. The Gentiles got it. And now you, the Jewish leaders, the Jewish religious people, you don't get it either. I'm standing right in front of you. Look at verse 40. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. What's Jesus talking about? The resurrection. Verse 41, the men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. Fascinating. Jesus tells the religious people, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the zealous people for religion. He says, the only sign you're going to get is the sign of Jonah. In three days, you're going to put me in the ground just like he went in the belly of the fish. Three days later, he came out, I'm going to come out. And on one day, there's going to be a judgment. And I'm going to rise up the men of Nineveh that repented of the message of Jonah. I'm going to rise them up and they're going to be the eyewitness accounts against you. They're going to judge you. They're going to say, we heard it once, we believed it, we trusted it, and we became Yahweh followers. You had everything of the Old Testament. You had all the prophecies, all the promises, all the covenants. And Jesus came and walked on water and healed 5,000 and healed the sick and touched the lepers. And you still didn't believe it. The issue is not evidence. The issue is hardness of heart. And your heart is condemned. You follow me? Now, look at verse 42. The queen of the south. Who's that? That's, she, that's the queen of Sheba. The queen of the south will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, something greater than Solomon is here. I think Jesus, when he's telling these religious people these things, he's standing in front of the tabernacle of Israel. Solomon was known for building this amazing temple. And these guys are sitting there saying, show us a sign. Someone greater than Solomon standing in front of you. Someone greater than Jonah is standing in front of you. The men of Nineveh will condemn you and the queen of Sheba. How would the queen of Sheba be an eyewitness at the day of judgment? She heard, she came, she believed, and she took action. She went telling of the glory and the honor of the God of Solomon. And she, my friends, it says, will one day stand in judgment over that generation. Something greater than Solomon is here. Now, how is Jesus greater than Solomon? I wrote down a couple of things. 
Solomon's honored and applauded by earthly kings. Jesus is worshipped by angels. Solomon owned a kingdom on a time period. Jesus owns a kingdom for all time. Solomon died, buried, didn't rise again. Jesus did. I could go on and on. That someone greater than Solomon is here. So the queen went 3,000 miles round trip, 150 days of travel, and one day she will judge the generation that put Jesus on the cross as an eyewitness. That I heard, I came, I believed, I trusted, and it affected the rest of my life. So the question I have today is, what is the Lord Jesus Christ worth to you? There's a final judgment coming the Bible teaches. And we're going to be held accountable for the exposure that we received and what we did with that truth that we've heard, the truth that we've seen. She could have praised the buildings. She could have praised the gold. She could have praised uh, the clothes. But I think the greatest praise she gave was, blessed are those who serve in your presence. Happy are they. You know, you can take leaders in the world's history of Saddam Hussein, Hitler, Stalin, Mussolini. They can fake you with bells and whistles and entertainment. They can make you look happy. You know, we hear about North Korea putting out video of people smiling and beautiful people and enjoying their country and their nation. But what you can't fake is the happiness and the joy in the servants. He's happy are those that honor you. Happy are those. Now, the Old Testament. Let's build a big tabernacle and tell the world, the nation of Israel, come and see. New Testament. Jesus says, go and make disciples. Baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teaching them all that I've commanded. And lo, I'm with you even to the end of the age. Old Testament, come and see. New Testament, go and tell. Church, how we doing? Old Testament was a building. New Testament, there's an organism that's not a building. It's a group of people that corporately gather at a building, which we'll be doing really soon, and it's called the church. And when the world encounters the church, the same result that happened to the Queen of Sheba should happen to the world that when they encounter a Christian, they're breathless. We see ourselves as on mission because the Bible says our citizenship's in heaven, Philippians 3.20. We're not of this place. So today, here's how I close with you. Men and women, boys and girls, students, young adults, you're invited once again to come to Christ. Once again, if, if you grew up with a godly mama or a godly daddy, that was your invitation. If you have a friend that you've seen their life transformed by the gospel of Christ and you've been wondering what went on, that's your invitation. If you've ever bumped into a Christian and you saw faith with skin on it, you saw love with skin on it, you saw kindness in the flesh, that's your invitation. I am asking today I mean this woman went to Jerusalem all you have to do is bow your head that you would say Lord I am not smart enough I'm not holy enough I'm not good enough 
I have issues that I don't have wisdom for. I need you to be my wisdom. I need you to be my Lord. I want to submit to you. I believe I get everything to you. You give more. You, you're more. You're abundantly more than I could ask or think. I want to be breathless by following you. Today, I would ask you to bow your head and ask God to do that. Change your life. And you can dive into the word where all the wisdom is. Jesus, I mean, Solomon, the famous Solomon, that phrase struck me, the famous Solomon. Jesus is the all-time famous one. And so we bring honor and glory to the fame of the famous one. Would you come today? Would you trust Christ? Father, today, we love you. We praise you. We lift you up. You are the famous one. You are the holy one. You alone, Lord, hold the world in your hands. Father, I pray that someone listening to this today or another day in the future would just bow today and say, God, would you forgive me of my sins? Would you cleanse my heart? Would you take over my life? And I want to tell of you to other people. Oh, Lord, help us not to be blown away and breathless and receive all the gifts of being your child and never speak of it. I pray, Father, that when people encounter us, it would be like the Queen of Sheba having the breath taken out of her body. Not because we're anything special, but because you are the famous one. And it's for the fame of the famous one we pray and we live and we trust Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.